We would like to acknowledge the terrible people, the traditional owners of the land on which we record Extra Virgin Podcast. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Love Extra Virgin Podcast? You can support this show and help keep us ad-free through the coffee supporter feature. It's just like buying us a cup of coffee. It's totally up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the coffee link in the show description to support us now. Welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm Natasha Mirosh. And I'm Sam Donsky. Between us, we've toured and tasted our way around more than 60 countries. Join us now as we meet the passionate people who make travelling the world so rewarding and so very delicious. Hi, Natasha. Hey, Sam. I like the name of this episode, Natasha. (laughs) Thanks, Sam. I shamelessly stole it from Gabrielle Garcia Marquez's book, Love in the Time of Cholera, with a bit of a 2021 update. Well, that's certainly apt for our topic today, how far you'd go for love, literally. Natasha, have you ever had a long-distance relationship? I have. In my early 20s, I met someone in London who was an Italian, but I had to come back home and so we didn't see each other for six months. This was in the pre-internet days too, if you can believe it. So we actually wrote letters and sent each other lovelorn (laughs) mixtapes until I moved back to London to be with him. How about you? Yeah, I can't say too much. The person involved (laughs) may be listening. So, uh, but yes, I have had my own experience with it. And as a result, I've always been very curious about international relationships because for the couple to be together, one of them inevitably has to move far away from their home, their friends and family, and it certainly makes things more complex. Well, today's guest moved to the other side of the world for love. And not just that, she did it in the midst of the worst pandemic the world has ever seen. Today we're talking to Monique Ciccato from her new home in Stavanger in Norway. Welcome to Extra Virgin, Monique. Hello. Yes, welcome, Monique. And thanks for getting up so very early to talk with us. (laughs) Not a problem. I'm used to it by now. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine it's not just the time zone that's different where you are. We're going to talk about Norway a bit later on, but let's start in Australia and your life in Perth. Tell us about that. So I've lived in Perth for, oh gosh, I think it's about 10 years now. I've always lived in WA though. And yeah, in Perth, I'm a freelance writer, so mainly in the travel and lifestyle field and spend the rest of my time at the beach, enjoying the beach, heading out, enjoying lots of events at our lovely bars and restaurants there. So where did you meet Espen? I met Espen in Perth, so we're one of those modern-day humble couples. (laughs) (laughs) He was in Perth for a bit of a holiday before he was due to go to work in Malaysia. He works on oil rigs, and his company had quite a few contracts out in Malaysia, and he was the one sent to do them, which was exciting to him because he loved Perth loves the beach, loves the sunshine, loves it being warm. He was in Perth for a week and I met him two days before he flew out to Malaysia. Mm. Tell us about your first date. (laughs) Our first date was very Australian of me. I suggested we went to the beach and took some beers down there. Also, I'm just terrified of the idea of the first date being in a bar. (laughs) surrounded by people so (laughs) that seems like a very casual nice thing to do it was actually my first bumble date ever Mm. 
I don't know why I'm saying mm, four. I've wow. never been on a Bumble date before. But. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very new, very interesting experience for me too. My friends hate me because I went on one Bumble date and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> They've all got fabulous stories of their Bumble dates. But yeah, I suggested my favourite beach in Perth, which there's no one ever there, which I love because I love feeling like I've got the whole beach to myself and not having to worry about people being too close. And we just spent hours down there. I was actually supposed to have a second bumble jet, <laughs> like two hours later. That's very efficient of you. <laughs> Pack them all in on one day. <laughs> well, what can I say? <laughs> I just wanted to get them over and done with, I guess. <laughs> I ended up cancelling that second one because, yeah, we were just having such a great time. And then I went out with him later that night. And then, yeah, we just never stopped talking and messaging and <laughs> being in contact with each other. But I guess we were lucky that he was in Malaysia and he loved Perth so much. So he came back a few times while he was there. So it wasn't that long before I got to see him again. And so what happened then? Obviously, he's in Malaysia for a while. You're in Perth. You have met a few times. But then what's next? Ah, oh, Gosh, that's a question that we have asked so many times. <laughs> like, what next? While he was in Malaysia, I think he came back to Australia maybe three times. So within the next six months, I think I might have seen him four times within the next six months. Between him coming back to Perth, he actually flew me over to Malaysia as well to see him while he was there. And just our luck, he got called out on a job. Oh, no. <laughs> so we gosh. had one and a half days together. Oh, it's a very yeah, romantic was, gesture, though. Mm. Oh, it was. It was. And he extended the stay where he was staying. He was in a beautiful apartment there and he extended the stay so that I had somewhere to stay while I was there and he made sure that I was looked after. And then for the next year and a half, it was a matter of trying to find common ground literally <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in between that we could catch up together. So if he was coming back to Malaysia for work, we would meet somewhere in Southeast Asia and spend a week there. So we've been to Cambodia together. We've been to Malaysia together. We've been to Singapore. He's been back again to Australia. And then COVID hit, which made all of that a heck of a lot harder. And obviously there was no traveling to meet each other in exotic locations around the world. And it was a matter of trying to work out what to do. And it actually ended up being a year before I got to see him again. So. Oh, wow. How did you keep your spirits up through that period where you could not meet up? Yeah, that's a really good question because <laughs> it was hard. I did actually, and maybe this is what helped, I did actually have a trip to Europe booked for September last year. So when COVID hit, obviously, in March, I remember saying to Eston when I last saw him in, I think it was October of, 2019 when he left Australia that time I'm devastated every time we part ways but that time in particular because we had no idea when we'd see each other again because he was not sure if he'd be coming back to Australia for work and the next best option was my trip that I had planned in September so I was like oh my gosh we're not going to see each other for potentially 10 months Mm. (laughs) and it ended up happening But to keep our spirits high, I guess knowing that trip was planned, we had something to work towards and knew that was coming up and we were trying to stay positive and thinking the virus would only be around a few months. Mm. 
So it was just lots of phone calls and lots of just holding out hope that this trip would actually happen, which obviously didn't. We had to cancel it. Monique, tell us about the moment you decided, screw it, pandemic or not, you're going to Norway. (laughs) That's literally what it was. (laughs) I think it got to the point where we both were thinking it's now or never. Like if we don't try and make this happen and get to see each other again, when are we going to get to see each other? And the harsh reality was creeping in. If we didn't do this now, then do we give up on the last year and a half, two years? Do we just give up on that and get on with our lives? And I couldn't deal with that because I'd invested so much time into gorgeous man Mm. (laughs) and put my life on well, not put my life on hold. I won't say that because it wasn't a negative thing. It's been beautiful and I adore this guy. So to just let all of that go and think that that happened because there was a pandemic, that was really not an option for me. And I did also get the tip off from a coach at my gym who had managed to get an exemption to go and see his girlfriend in Sweden, I think she is. So as soon as I found out he had managed to get an exemption, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I found the solution. (laughs) So given the state of the world and the way the pandemic was moving, how did your friends and family feel about your decision? My best friend and housemate was absolutely over the moon and almost threatening, (laughs) telling me that if I didn't do this, then she wouldn't be friends with me, obviously in a joking tone, but she was adamant this would happen because she knows how much time and effort Esten and I put into maintaining contact and maintaining this relationship. And she also knew how much I'd wanted to live overseas before and she just couldn't see how this wasn't the best opportunity in the world, despite the small issue of a pandemic. <laughs> but she was very, very excited. She actually was there with a champagne bottle for me when I hit purchase on my airline ticket. (laughs) She popped the bottle for me. She was very supportive. I was very, very thorough in making sure that I had as much information as possible for this to be accepted. So I got my mum to write a bit of a reference, not so much a character reference, but more of a testimony to our relationship. Is that the right word? Yeah, sure. (laughs) But yes, she wrote out a little bit of a letter saying Esther and Minnie have been together for X amount of years and we're happy to support her should there be any issues arise. So my mum knew that I was going to be applying for this exemption. But (laughs) when the exemption came through and I told my parents and my brother, I had all the phone calls all of the, the, you know, there's a pandemic and do you think this is the best time to be doing this? And what if it doesn't go well? What if this happens? What if you get stuck there? Blah, blah, blah. And it actually got me down quite a bit because I felt like they were assuming I hadn't thought this through. (laughs) But then I remembered that for my dad and my brother, this was news to them that I was even considering coming across to see my partner. So of course it was a bit of a shock and I understood it a bit better then. But as soon as they'd had that chat with me and had their fears allayed a bit about me making sure I had my butt covered, they were very supportive. They were really excited for me. And my dad, I think of all of them, he had this big turnaround in his thinking about me travelling in the middle of a pandemic to the other side of the world to see a man that he's only met briefly once. So he had this epiphany and he was like, no, you're young. 
you know, when are you going to get to see him? And so oh, bless him. they were, yeah. yeah, it was really cute. In the end, they came around to it and were like, well, she's an adult. She's got everything covered. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> and it's not like you'd had a one week holiday romance and then we're trying, considering going across the planet in a pandemic. It's a much more evolved relationship than that by this time. Exactly. And I think for my brother, who's very protective of me, it's very cute. He's never met Espen. My mum's never met him aside from on a, if I've been on a FaceTime with him while I'm with her. Mm. So I think for them, that was their biggest fear was that they hadn't met him. They didn't know the relationship, but then again, they did also know that I've known him for by that stage, two years and had seen him numerous times and spoke to him every day. Now, on a practical level, how did you go about it? There weren't many flights out of Australia in November, right? And presumably it was also very expensive. Interesting. Most people assume the flights are very expensive because I assumed that too. But I'll start from the start. I had to apply for an exemption to even leave Australia. And I've applied for exemptions to travel within my own state before and been granted those overnight. And they were extremely easy to get. But obviously, traveling outside of Australia, there were a lot more that was needed to apply for this. And I was so scared (laughs) that it was going to get denied. But to apply for that, I had to include character references from my best friend. I got Eston to write a letter explaining and outlining our relationship when we met, how many times we've seen each other. He went through all his flight records Mm. and listed out every single flight he's taken to come and see me. It was almost like applying for a spousal visa, proving this relationship. And then I said that I was going for three months because why not make the most of the 90-day visa-free Schengen zone travel thing we have going? And I think I hit send at 8 p.m. on one particular night and the next morning I woke up and I had an approval. Oh, wow. Yeah. My approval came through so incredibly quickly and I think it surprised everyone. I was in shock and I was like, oh gosh, this is actually happening. I thought this was going to be so much harder. Mm. And that day I started looking for flights and I was looking a month ahead and I was looking with, I think I was looking at Qatar, Emirates, and they might have been the only two airlines I was looking at because I knew they were quite reliable. Well, <laughs> if you can be reliable during the pandemic. <laughs> and flights were only 2000 for a turn. Mm, wow, that so, is surprising. I guess I just imagined that because there were so few that they'd be super expensive. Yeah, and I was totally expecting to pay way more than that because I'd actually looked, I have a credit with flight centre that I actually won. Nice. Um, Yeah, $2,000 to spend. You know, it was amazing. Perfect. I was like, cool, I'll use that voucher and couldn't because flights were about $6,000 through them. Right. But yeah, $2,000 for my airfares. It was pretty amazing. Right. Just bought directly with the airline. Yeah. And what was that flight like? Were there lots of people on it? Did you have to wear masks? Did it feel different? It felt really different 
going into the airport, I think I had my passport and my negative PCR test checked about three times before I even got to the check-in gate. But the airport was surprisingly busy. I was expecting a ghost town and Mm. sure, there were no stores or restaurants open, but I think there were about three or four flights leaving. So there was quite a few people in the airport. And my flight, I think there was maybe 25 people waiting at the gate. Oh, gosh. (laughs) That's all. It was really, really, really empty. But I have to say, Qatar did such a brilliant job of making sure everyone was safe and felt safe on their flight because before we even got to the boarding, they made sure everyone had a face mask, a face shield, (laughs) which is a new one for me. I've never had to wear a face Mm. shield. We had to make sure we were wearing those as we were boarding and we had to wear them the whole flight, which proved difficult to try and sleep while you're wearing this big plastic thing on your face. (laughs) But in saying that, they obviously weren't too strict when you were on the flight because I did see one lady who thought hanging her mask off her ear was satisfactory. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There's always one. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But, yeah, the flight actually was probably one of the best flights I've ever taken because there was no one around me. (laughs) Exactly. I could stretch out. There was still entertainment. We still got all our food service. The lovely ladies knew when I might want another glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) They they were really, really, really great. So no problems with the flight at all. Monique, when you arrived, there was no joyful airport reunion, was there? Because Norway's regulation said you had to go into hotel quarantine. Was it for 10 days? How did you cope with that? Well, you're right. There was definitely no joyful airport reunion when I first landed on Norwegian soil. When I first booked my flights, I was able to quarantine at home with Aspen, but about a week and a half before I flew, that changed and the government decided hotel quarantine was going to be mandatory for, now this is a weird one, it was mandatory only for people who didn't own property in Norway. Uh So (laughs) That is very odd. Mm. It is very odd. So basically, if you were a Norwegian resident, but you were renting property, Mm. you would have to quarantine. It was so weird. And I think that that odd decider on who went into hotel quarantine and who didn't was very much indicative of how disorganized the system was. Because when I got to Oslo, I was told basically I would be shuttled off to a quarantine hotel from there and wouldn't be able to take my ongoing flight to Savannah. So I had all my documentation ready and I went up to the border control and the man at border control, <laughs> he was so ready to let me through and not do my hotel quarantine. But silly me was said to him, oh my gosh, I don't have to do hotel quarantine. I, I thought I had to do hotel quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Then he checked with another colleague and basically I had to go and do my hotel quarantine, which was 10 days at an airport right on the runway at Oslo's International Airport. I could see the planes taking off and landing from my room. And quarantine in Norway is 
incredibly different to what I assume quarantine will be in Australia. A, it was only 10 days. B, there was absolutely no requirement for me to stay in my room whatsoever. (laughs) And I think it was the weirdest experience because I had this idea in my mind that it would be 10 days solitary in my room. I would have food delivered to me and that was that. But it was so far from that. When I got there, one of the first things I was told as I was signing in, the guard told me we're allowed one hour of exercise outdoor each day so long as you just sign that book, unattended book there by the door. (laughs) And, And as I very quickly found out, you could spend all day outdoors if you wanted. They had no idea. And I think it really came down to Norway's they're all for human rights, you know, and what's best for what's best for everyone and what's best for the greater good. So they were very, very aware that it is not a good thing to be locked up in your room for 10 days straight. And I guess they're scared of any sort of backlash or, you know, uprising against what they're doing even though there definitely was still a lot of Norwegian people up in arms about this hotel quarantine system. And one of the Facebook groups that I was a part of, I was constantly on there backing up what Norway was doing and saying, hey, guys, trust me, this is nothing. It's like a 10-day hotel stay. If there wasn't any caution tape around the check-in area, you would be none the wiser for the fact that you're actually doing hotel quarantine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think... To get through that, it was actually really quite easy. I had so many phone calls from Espen. I think Espen called every day. I had phone calls from my parents, my brother, my best friend. I was working. I was going for multiple walks each day. It was Everything was frozen outside and I've never seen anything like that before. So I was just taking photos of frozen leaves and... <laughs> chatting to the guards downstairs. I met a lovely New Zealand man at the coffee station because we didn't have coffee and tea in our rooms. There was a station on each level, very COVID safe. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually really easy to get through those 10 days, I must say, aside from the food. Okay. I'm thinking with quarantine behind you, we finally get to our romantic reunion scene. Can you tell us about the reality of finally seeing Espen again for the first time after how oh, how many months are we talking now? It was a year a by year. the time I got to see him. Yeah, oh. so how was that? I was so incredibly nervous on the flight. I think the flight was only about 45 minutes from Oslo to Savannah and the reality hit me on the flight. Oh my gosh, I'm going to see Essen after a year and all that year of not seeing each other is leading up to this moment. And I had definitely psyched myself out. And I remember coming through the doors and I spotted him standing there and I didn't know whether to smile or cry. Not that he would have seen if I was smiling because I was wearing a mask. I went up to him and well, said hello and asked him if I could hug him because, you know, COVID and wasn't sure what the protocol was. And I gave him a hug and I was shaking like a leaf. (laughs) I was, honestly, I couldn't control myself. I was shaking and it was just so good to see him. And I thought I would cry. I thought I would be inconsolable, but I was 
quite in control aside from shaking and not knowing what to say to him (laughs) because I was just so excited and nervous and yeah I think all that adrenaline hit when I saw him and then when we got outside and I could give him a hug and take my mask off and give him a kiss and actually say hello properly it was just so good I couldn't stop smiling and stop looking at him Oh, I feel a bit teary hearing that. It's lovely. (laughs) Monique, at the time you had a return ticket booked, I assume. I think Australians could still fly home then. Things have changed a little bit now. When did you have your return ticket booked for? I was supposed to be home on the 23rd of Feb. So it is (laughs) definitely not home yet, but I did have it booked because... I could only be here for 90 days visa-free. So currently I am sitting here overstaying my welcome Ooh, in Norway. Legal alien. I am right now, but UDI, which is the body that looks after visas and immigration over here, they're very aware of the situation and they're up to date with everything that's happening. So we're all good. But I did have a return flight booked and... That was all fine up until January when Australia decided to reduce the incoming flights, I think by 50% in most places because I think it was the new variant, the mutant variant of COVID that prompted the states to reduce their incoming passengers by 50%, which meant I'm from WA and I was trying to fly back to WA. That meant there were only 500 people a week coming into WA. And very soon after that announcement, my flight was cancelled. It was literally within 24 hours of that announcement. As soon as I found out, I was calling up Qatar and asking them what the protocol is, who gets bumped off flights, all that sort of stuff. And they couldn't really tell me much. And yeah, my flight got cancelled. It was about 20 days out of my flight. And I spent the next week or so trying to work out what to do because When I was talking to Qatar, I realised how little control the airlines have over these cancelled flights because they had absolutely no passenger quota from the Australian government for February yet. And I was talking to them maybe the second or third week of January and they hadn't heard from the Australian government how many people they were allowed to bring into each destination within Australia in February. So the earliest they could book me on a flight was the 23rd of March. Mm. And I'm not even confident that one's going to take off, to be honest. Gosh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to come home and see everyone. The main reason for me getting home is because I've overstayed my welcome in Norway Mm. and have to attempt to get home. Otherwise, I'm quite happy here with that one. Yeah. So the government, the Norwegian government requires you to show that you've made an effort at least to get home. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and so in my conversations with UDI and the Australian consulate over here, they have said to just keep documentation or keep everything. So keep all my emails, keep any confirmations, any cancellations, because right now, well, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm overseeing my welcome. Mm. Well, let's talk about Norway, shall we? You obviously hadn't been there before and you probably couldn't have picked a more different place to WA. Mm-hmm. So tell us about Norway and your first impressions. 
Yeah, I definitely couldn't have picked a more different place to WA, especially a WA in the midst of the summer. We're coming out of winter now, but I arrived bang on in the middle of winter. So my first impressions of Norway, I think we have to skip over those 10 days that I was in Oslo because they were, I guess, a very different first impression of Norway than what most people would get. (laughs) Mind you, being there, it was amazing to see snow falling and to see the ground covered in snow and everything so white and covered in fog and I'd never seen snow fall before. I'd only ever seen snow on the ground so to me it's it's been this crazy winter wonderland that I could never imagine it and as far as the people and the landscapes here, the landscapes are just incredible being in Stavanger we're on the coast in the south so I'm kind of in the same sort of position as I would be in Australia I live on the southwest coast in Australia and in Stavanger that's where we are on the southwest coast of Norway so there are so many beaches which I don't know why I didn't expect there to be beaches that's just the most naive thing to ever think <laughs> probably not doing much swimming though just- right <laughs> Oh, definitely, definitely not swimming in the ocean. I think Norway is very much about that outdoor life. I mean, they've got this uh, this word "freeluftsliv," which is about outdoor living, and you can see why they are so about this freeluftsliv. <laughs> I'm probably not saying it right, but you can definitely see why they're all about this because it's just stunning. Like the mountains, there's so much water around and. I guess it explains a lot about Espen and what he loves as well when he comes to Australia because he's grown up with all this water and oceans and mountains and open space and it's just lovely and the people have been very friendly. They've been really lovely and the fact they all speak wonderful English is very, very helpful. And you were there for Christmas, I believe. That would have been an interesting experience. It definitely was. It, oh, gosh, it was. A, it was cold. B, there was no seafood in ocean, <laughs> like I'm used to. But it was that traditional white Christmas that you see on the movies. Everything's cold. The pine trees make sense. You know, there's a big warm, not a roast in Norway. They have a traditional dish called pinisha, which is like dried salted lamb that's then rehydrated in a stew and that's a very traditional Norwegian dish. Their traditions are really warm and homely which I guess speaks to the weather outside and being cold in winter which is just a million miles away from what I'm used to. I'm used to walking around in you know my bikini for most of (laughs) most of Christmas. So yeah they get dressed up uh, Espen wore like a bow tie and a dress shirt and dress pants and all his brothers did as well. I guess it's a very high-end affair for them. Gosh, gosh. There's no there's no cricket. Yes, no bikinis. <laughs> no bikinis. And I guess it would be different spending a Christmas holiday with somebody who's not your family that you don't know very well. Very, very different. They were so lovely though. I got so spoiled. There were so many presents under the Christmas tree for me. I think the most special one was a jumper and a matching ear warmer, I guess you call it. It's like a knitted headband that were hand-knitted for me by Espen's mum. 
she'd never met me when she started knitting them. And um, yeah, so I have this beautiful jumper that she hand knitted for me. And yeah, that was the second time I'd met her at Christmas. They were going all out to make sure I felt at home. It was really, really lovely. That's very welcoming. Monique, I've been following your Instagram account and you've posted some absolutely incredible photos. I believe Espen's family have a cabin in the country and you've had quite a few firsts there, haven't you? I definitely have. And thank you so much for the compliments about my Instagram. <laughs> but yeah, his family own a cabin in a place called Hornet Island. So it's up in the mountains. It's, it's super common for Norwegians to have a holiday cabin. So pretty much everyone that you talk to is always telling you they're going out to the cabin for the weekend. But yeah, Espen's parents have one in Hunadalen and it's absolutely beautiful. It's on a bit of a, I'm going to say a bit of a mountaintop. It, to me, it feels more like a hill because <laughs> there's, it's not super high, but there's the most beautiful view of the lake in front and the mountains behind that lake. Mm. And there's probably about a maximum of 20 cabins dotted around that area. And it's like a little community. It's really, really lovely. And in the middle of winter, when it's covered in snow, you have to ski up there. You can't, you can't walk up there because you just fall into the, into, the, into the snow. So that was really interesting for someone who's never skied before. <laughs> like cross-country skiing. Yes. You have to cross-country ski up to the cabin. So um, you can either cross-country ski up or you can wear those racket thing you wear on the bottom of your shoe yeah snowshoes I don't know what they're called yeah Yeah. (laughs) so you can wear those up but we didn't have those Mm. and yeah you have to ski your way up and the first time we went up we actually weren't expecting so much snow and we had to try and walk up and it was like every step you took you were just sinking up to your waist there were actually points where my feet sunk in so deep and there was like a tree underneath where I was walking so the snow fell straight through the tree and I was literally dangling, dangling there by my waist because the snow was so deep and, yeah, it was crazy. Mm. But, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful out there. Their cabin's huge as well, more like a, a holiday home than a cabin. But it's just beautiful to go up there and be surrounded by snow and they've got a spa as well. So we've been sitting in the spa with with beers and it's snowing outside and absolutely lovely mm. that's amazing what about the wildlife is there much wildlife not at the moment out at the cabin there's not much wildlife mainly because it's covered in snow but around town actually the last few days i've seen quite a few deer just hanging out in the fields so a lot of i say town we're actually just i think we're a 20 minute drive out of Savannah, not far from the airport and all these little areas outside of the main town of Savannah. They're like little communities. So there's a group of houses and then lots of fields around them. So there's a lot of wildlife around in these sorts of areas because you've got the fields. Like I literally look out the living room window and I can see farms, even though we're living in quite a built-up little area over to one direction. It's just all fields. So you do see a few things bounding around. The lovely photo you took of some reindeer pretty early on. So that was actually up in Tomster. Yeah, that's quite far north. And those photos in particular, the sky was just stunning that day. There was a tiny little bit of cloud cover. And because 
up that far in Tonga. The sun doesn't come above the horizon at all for the three and a half, four hours that there is what I will put in inverted commas, daylight. <laughs> well, you're basically in a perpetual state of sunrise and sunset because, like I said, the sun doesn't actually rise above the horizon. So the whole day we just had this beautiful pinky purpley sky and then when we got towards the end of the in inverted commas daylight hours it just lit up this beautiful vibrant red and orange um it was just stunning so up further north you definitely get to see the reindeer so you have had the opportunity to travel within norway while you've been there yes so norway's bounding between lockdowns and being open and still trying to not restrict their residents too much. It's a bit of a fluid state at the moment, but we have been able to travel obviously out to the cabin. We went up to Tomsa as well, which requires two flights from Stavanger actually to get to. And while it's not encouraged to travel, it's also not Band. Mm. So we've been up to Tomsa, we've been out to the cabin. We're probably going to try and get to Bergen, which is a four-hour drive from here before I leave. But while we're in Tomsa, we were actually in the middle of one of the stricter lockdowns that Norway's had in a while, and that just entailed a lot of restaurants and bars being closed, only because there was a rule that you weren't allowed to serve alcohol with food. So a lot of bars and restaurants closed. That's an interesting, which is weird interesting because, rule. <laughs> isn't it? You would not, think not that sure how that staves would, off um, COVID, but <laughs> Exactly. That was my my thoughts exactly. I was like, okay, I don't I didn't think COVID chose its victims based on who has wine with their dinner and who doesn't. But hey. <laughs> and you were lucky enough when you were up north to see the northern lights I see from your incredible photos. Oh, yes, we did. Mm. Thank you. Um, oh, gosh, it was absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> bless Eston. He is a very organised and regimented person. So great quality because I tend to be a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more all over the place, let's say. And he was checking the forecast for the Northern Lights hourly. And that first night that we got there, we had huge delays in arriving in Tomsa because there was a massive snowstorm when we landed in Bergen. And when we got to Tomsa, we're out in the hire car. We drove for about two hours, three hours, got home at 1am in the morning and didn't see a thing. And as soon as we got home, he was checking the live camera because they have a live camera set up on one of the buildings somewhere in the city and it shows if the northern lights are happening and typical as soon as we got home the northern lights started showing a little bit so he was a little bit upset about that but then the next day oh my gosh it was just phenomenal we actually got to uh earthfield bottom which is the base of earthfield which is out out of thompson so we got there at 6.30 p.m. And as we got out the car, the sky was really milky. And I remember looking at it and questioning whether or not that was the northern light. There was actually a couple walking their dog and they passed us as we were walking out towards where we wanted to be. 
and Erskine stopped to chat to them and asked them where the best spot to see the Northern Lights from was and they pointed us on in the right direction and I was far too embarrassed to ask them whether or not what we were seeing were the Northern Lights because I didn't want to be that tourist that's like oh my gosh it's the Northern Lights and it was clouds but honestly maybe two three minutes after seeing them my suspicions were confirmed and the sky just lit up it was absolutely phenomenal and I think some people aren't as lucky and you know they only get to see that milky it looks like a milky band and it moves just a little bit so you do know it's the northern light but we actually saw big ribbons of green dancing Mm. it was just amazing and a lot of people don't realize that although the photos I took when you take them and look at them without editing, there is definitely green. It is bright green light. But your eye can't detect that when you're seeing them. Oh. So a lot of people, yeah, unless it's, unless it's super strong, like the big bands we saw, if it's not super strong, it just looks like a milky, slightly grayish purple colour. And I think a lot of people don't realise that. So they might be disillusioned as to A, what they're seeing or B, what they should see. Mm. So when you take the photo, obviously your camera is a lot more sensitive to the light and the colour than your eye and it comes out that beautiful green that you do sometimes see. But we managed to catch like a very, very strong storm that even the locals were just amazed at. So if the locals were saying it was an amazing night to see the northern lights, we know we caught a good one. Yes, because they'll have seen it all. What a, what a great bucket list experience yes. to have. So lucky. You, you touched on food before when we were talking about Christmas and some of the traditional dishes. Uh, what is Norwegian food like and how have you found it? So Norwegian food, well, it speaks a lot about the climate here. Mostly it's a lot of chicken, a lot of salmon, a lot of dried meats, which we had at Christmas, we had pinachot, which is dried lamb, which is then rehydrated and eaten for Christmas. I guess there is a big influence, and I didn't realise this, there's a big influence from America, especially here in Stavanger, there's the oiling industry. And when there were Americans coming over for the oiling industry, they brought with them a lot of their kind of traditions. So at New Year's Eve dinner, we had roast turkey which is very traditional for the Norwegians to have a roast turkey dinner with their Waldorf salad, <laughs> uh, which is, yeah, it was it was an interesting experience for me, I tell you what. <laughs> but they do have quite a few Americanisms. There's massive sections in the grocery store for frozen pizzas and tacos. <laughs> but as far as their traditional foods, one that I'm yet to try that very regional to Savannah is called kumla, which is, as I understand it, like a potato and flour dumpling that they eat with a salted meat stew. <laughs> There's a lot of salmon, which is fantastic because I love salmon. Uh, so the fresh salmon is amazing. And another one of the traditional foods I now need to know where I can buy in Australia when I come back to Australia <laughs> is the, in Norwegian it's called Olenok which is brown cheese. Oh, um, yes, I've heard and of that's this. one of the foods that gets mentioned a lot when you're talking about traditional Norwegian foods. So apparently this cheese is quite polarising, but 
to me, it just tastes like a beautiful, soft, caramelly cheese. It's super interesting. And yeah, I've become a little bit addicted to it while I've been here. So they normally eat it for breakfast or with sweets. But I don't know if I would consider putting it on waffles. <laughs> I would probably, I'm happy with it on my, you know, on my crackers. Are there foods that you've missed? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I used to frequent my Asian grocer in Perth and I would stock up on tofu and pak choy and all the beautiful Asian greens and noodle soups and dumplings. And I, I typically do eat a lot of fresh Asian-inspired dishes. And that proved difficult to find here. I'm used to there being an Asian grocer on almost every corner where I lived in Perth. And here we have to drive to the shopping centre, which is about 15 minutes away, maybe 10, 15 minutes away. And there's an Asian grocer there. And there's a new one that's opened up in the town of Savannah, which is 20 minutes drive away. And I have to drive there to find things like... um, I, I made Mapo tofu the other night because I missed, <laughs> I missed Mapo tofu and it's beautiful weather for Mapo tofu. And I had to go to the, the Asian grocer to be able to get the black bean and chili paste you use as the base for that. But you can get soy sauce and fish sauce and coconut cream in the supermarket. But you have to pay. Oh, and it, oh just thinking about it kills me. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I really miss is fresh produce. Mm. especially being winter here at the moment fruit is limited to mandarins and oranges and they do have some berries but they're not super flavorful because they're grown in a hot house and imported so i do really really miss that fresh produce so what now monique is there a happy ending to this love story For the time being, it's a very happy ending. If my flight gets cancelled, then (laughs) hey, it looks like I'm living here. (laughs) So sad. Yeah, I know. I'm devastated. Mm. (laughs) I guess the next steps really are just working out whether or not I stay here for for the long haul. The long haul being getting a visa and being able to come back to Australia when I want. Mm. But (laughs) obviously making it a little bit more permanent and longer term than just the three months that I was supposed to be here. So I guess it is a happy ending. (laughs) We're definitely looking at what happens next. And listeners, if you have a COVID love story, we'd love to hear about it on Extra Virgin Food and Travel Facebook page. But if you prefer to live vicariously through Monique's adventures, you can follow her on Insta at at Monique Chicato. That's M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. C-E-C-C-A-T-O. Thank you so much, Monique. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. It's been lovely hearing your story. Oh, thank you so much, guys. It's been so lovely to talk to you too. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I think for many of us, many, oh, I've actually been to Norway, but it's many, many years ago, probably, in fact, 30 years ago, but it's been lovely to talk about it again and to think about it. I think the closest most of us get to it is the Nordic noir crime on <laughs> <laughs> on television. But uh, anyway, it has been really, really lovely to talk about it. So thank you very much. And we wish you and Espen the best of luck. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, that's all we have time for, listeners. Thank you for joining us at Extra Virgin Podcast. Until next time, bon voyage and bon appetit. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. You can get more great food and travel inspiration, including stories, recipes, reviews, and more at our website, extravirginfoodandtravel.com. You can also follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email us at extravirginfoodandtravel at gmail.com. And if you like what we do, you can support us by buying us a virtual coffee at our website. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts to download and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please give us a like.